my focus is on helping my team achieve our common or our shared goals and in doing so to become the best version of themselves. And the reason why that mindset shift is so powerful is because you're saying that it's not enough if I succeed if my team fails. It's not even enough if I succeed and a couple of folks on my team fail. If somebody on my team fails, we all fail together. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everybody, before we start the episode, I have an important announcement to make. We are going to start a new feature on the show in AMA at the end, where you'll get a chance to interact with me and I get to answer any question you have. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And so if you have any questions around your workplace, things that you want around productivity, managing your team, scaling the organization, or about me or Mindvalley, go ahead and email me the question on jason at mindvalley.com. I look forward to hearing all of your questions and we'll get a chance to interact at the end of future podcast episodes. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody. Jason Campbell here, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I'm bringing to you today is going to talk to us about these ideas of leadership that are really essential for the way that the world is becoming. We've talked about leadership in the past on this podcast, but here I really love the fact that we're going to be sharing a model of what are the core disciplines and skills and focus areas that you should have as a leader in the modern world world. Dave McEwen is an author, speaker, consultant, and the CEO of Outfield Leadership. His latest book that just came out early 2020, The Self-Evolved Leader, covers a lot of these aspects that we're going to be speaking about in the episode today. If you want to elevate your focus, develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down, this is the book that speaks about it, and Dave is going to share some amazing insights today. Now, His leadership strategies have been shared on some of Inc. 500's top companies and growth conferences at Bank of America. He's consulted with the British government, EO Entrepreneurs Organization, Bamboo HR, amongst many others. And here today, he's going to be with us. Dave, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jason. Really appreciate it. Now, we were just talking before the call and you've made a relocation. You're actually living in, I believe, Orange County, California. And so I wanted to kick it off with a bit of your story here. Like what brings you to America? What is your work you've been doing in leadership and what has been your journey since the book has come out? Sure. Happy to share that. I moved over to the States in the early 2010s, initially to Massachusetts, where I joined the family business, a company called Predictable Success, which is an organizational growth and leadership development company. And it was during that time that I really fell in love with the notion that we can develop as leaders and set out really to I guess make it my life's work to not only uncover what it meant to be an effective leader, but also help other leaders develop the mindset and skills and behaviors to get there. I lasted all of about one New England winter before I realized that I was not built for the snow. I'm from Ireland originally, and we don't really get much of that there. And so my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, and I headed west to California and we've been here for about seven years. And just love the life and the, the sunshine over here and help me as well in that relocation to kind of map out what I wanted to do long term with my career. And that involved going out, setting out my own little organization called Outfield Leadership and then ultimately writing this book, The Self-Evolved Leader. 
Mm, I love it. And I know you've been in this field of, you know, leadership development, working with teams for over 15 years here. And so I'm very interested to hear more about your framework. And for those of you who've been listening to this podcast, we've talked a lot about leadership. We've also talked a lot about the future of work. And what I love is the fact that the future of work seems to highlight this idea that leadership is such an important skill that we need to develop. Matter of fact, is one of those skills that isn't going to be replaced by AI automation because it's going to be something that we still need to do as we relate to other people, which is why this topic is always so fascinating to me. And so, Dave, I'd be curious to know what's happening in this field of leadership in the modern world, because I'm seeing a lot of great models are emerging that are addressing the issues that maybe leaders weren't even thinking about maybe 20 years ago. I think that to your point, leadership and the skills and behaviors and models that that takes will be very much influenced by how work changes and evolves over time. And I think we're in one of those inflection points where a lot of the old models of leadership are no longer working. So if you look back to the 80s, 70s, 60s, where essentially leadership as a concept first came around, there was this belief in kind of the strong, sure, steady, heroic leader who's out at the front, you know, knowing where we're going, has got absolute clarity in, in where we're going and everybody sort of falls in behind. But as we've evolved as a people group and the nature of our work has evolved, so too is the needs of our leader. And we're moving much more to a position where that surety, that need for absolutism is falling by the wayside and being replaced by something that's a lot more collective in its nature in helping a group achieve their common goals and also a lot more vulnerable in its nature saying, you know what, I don't know if this is the right way to go, but hey, doesn't it sound like a great journey? Doesn't it sound like an adventure? Would you like to come with me? Let's go. Those leaders who are successful will be the ones that will stay at the forefront of those changes and how we're working with each other every day. Mm. Yeah, I've been seeing this trend as well. And I find it so fascinating that we're actually having these leaders that are coming across now as being more human. And you talked about this whole like hero style of leader. And I'm curious to know, is it a question that back then that was what was necessary? Or was it that this type of self-evolved leadership was just something that was so undiscovered that people didn't notice it as much? Like we're noticing it now. Was it not fit back in the 60s and 70s? I think what's happened, one of the major shifts that we're dealing with now is just the sheer degree to which we have made ourselves interruptible at any time by anybody on a medium of their choosing and that they get to determine the priority of it. And so what it's done is taken that notion of the heroic leader where ultimately what I mean by that is if somebody comes and has a problem the leader knows the answer or steps in and saves the day or digs us out of a problem which was fine and good if it was happening two or three times a day but it's literally happening two or three times a minute now and so what's happened is our leaders I think still have this mindset that my job the value that I bring is to bring these solutions to my team but what it does is it builds this cycle of learned helplessness, first of all, in the folks that work for them. So if you're constantly going to your boss, your manager, and they're just 
helping you out and saving the day for you eventually you stop thinking for yourself and you just know that that's your first port of call what it does then for the leader is it makes them the bottleneck as well and so over time the more that your team depends on you the more that you give them the answers the more you give them the answers the more they depend on you and then they become disempowered and you become frustrated and overwhelmed and so I think that now we're seeing the need to shift away from the leader as a hero because there's just not enough hours in your day to be heroic you now need to build and develop your team and i think that's why it's becoming a little bit more acute nowadays wow i've witnessed that before and you're so right it always creates a bottleneck and i've had times where i've actually not even taken my own responsibility over a project because i'd ultimately know or assume that oh yeah i need to run it by the leader so i'm just going to wait for them and i know you're going to share these these really powerful frameworks for the leader but maybe i'm too early to ask this question but it's been on my mind right now is how responsible am i as a team member of creating that hero and what do i need to know if i'm an individual i'm maybe not in a leadership position yet i've realized that oh my god i've put that label on my leader and now they kind of seem to have to live up to it yeah so there's it's two sides of the same coin and i think at the end of the day it's somewhat of a dysfunctional relationship somewhere along the line the line of being mildly dysfunctional all the way up to being very dysfunctional but with any dysfunctional relationship there's always two parties right and so on one side the leader taking these acts of heroism most of the time it's through good intentions and it's not because they're bad people it's because it's where they think their value comes from and it's how they think that they can move quickest through the day and get us to the end of the day where we've achieved our goals for that day similarly then if you're in that position where you're relenting that control or you're giving away that empowerment it's not usually because you're a bad person it's just because you say well what's the point why would i go above and beyond what i need to do if this person's just going to dig me out of this hole and so actually being aware of that and being able to say hey you know what i actually don't need you to solve this problem for me all i need to do is just you know bounce some ideas off you or all i need is just for you to support me as i go do it to reclaim that empowerment you know in a lot of instances employees complain that they don't feel that they're empowered well at the end of the day the only place that empowerment really comes from is from within so i think recognizing it and taking the steps to try and address it is important and powerful Ooh, that was powerful dave thank you so <laughs> much for sharing sure i'd probably go on a limb here and mention the fact that i know we're going to cover all of these points when it comes to being a leader but i feel there's probably an idea of self-leadership that everybody can embody these principles no matter what position they're in Yes, definitely. And there's a couple of ways to look at it. One, as an old boss of mine once said, leadership occurs or can occur when two or more people are trying to achieve a common goal. So that can happen in a family. It can happen in a church group, your kid's soccer league, anywhere where there are people, there is this opportunity for leadership. And so even if you're not in a formal leadership position, there is the opportunity for you to grow and develop and learn. And the second aspect of it is all of that starts from a position position of self-reflection and a desire and a need and a willingness to grow and develop and it's the reason that I call the book the self-evolved leader because it's not about waiting for your organization to grow you or develop you it's about taking that stance and saying I'm responsible I'm the only one that's responsible for my own growth and development 
That's so true. And I love that aspect. So just to recap it for people listening in is we've talked about this new idea of this self-evolved leader as the world is moving faster. We can't rely on the hero leader that saves the day for everyone, which creates the rest of the organization in a victim state where you're not taking responsibility for moving the projects forward. You're putting a crutch on this leader that's going to take care of everything for you. And unfortunately, that does create bottlenecks. There's so many more decisions that need to be made so much faster today. And I can't help but think of organizations that might have been operating from this perspective, which actually didn't allow them to pivot towards the market changes and ultimately die in the process. And now we're being introduced to this new idea by Dave, which is a self-evolved leader, which takes full responsibility for themselves. They understand that they're going to be working on their own growth. And we're going to see what are the areas of focus that the self-evolved leader needs to be doing so that they can be the most effective in the world today. So Dave, please walk us through this model and what can we do now? Sure. And actually, just to pick up on what you're saying, I think there are a couple of things in there that are hugely important. One of which is that the transition away from heroic leadership towards self-evolved leadership, what it ultimately does and the whole goal is it gives you as the leader more time and more headspace to add value where you really are valuable, which is the medium and long-term direction of your team and the development of your people. And what that does is it actually makes you able to see more from a more strategic perspective, what's on the horizon. There's a tendency that when we're leading through acts of heroism, we're very much operating at runway level in the weeds. We're just getting through the day by firefighting. And that's really hard to see when the market shifts or the market turns because you're thinking no more than six hours, eight hours out. And so being able to elevate your focus can be really helpful. And I think your point about some organizations not being able to pivot is probably because they're leading through acts of heroism. In order to make the shift and the change, like any behavioral shift that starts with a mindset shift, right? And so the key mindset shift of the self-evolved leader is to adopt a new mantra, a new way of leading, which is to say that my focus is on helping my team achieve our common or our shared goals. And in doing so, to become the best version of themselves. And the reason why that mindset shift is so powerful is there's no room for heroic leadership in there because you're saying that it's not enough if I succeed if my team fails. It's not even enough if I succeed and a couple of folks on my team fail. If somebody on my team fails, we all fail together because we're working towards common and shared goals. And then secondly, it's not the achievement of those goals just for the sake of it, but that in doing so, the team grows, the team learns, the team develops into the best version of themselves. So like any good behavioral shift, it all starts with a mindset shift. Wow. And that's a very powerful one to have. In essence, you're really telling as a leader, it sounds like it's a question of trust. Like you need to be with a team that you absolutely trust and you recognize that it's the right team. Is there certain, I feel like it's almost like a question of, do you need to clean up your team as you make this shift? Because if you realize someone on your team is not necessarily at an A player level, is that someone that you would have less trust in and thus create more hesitation for you to not be a heroic leader? I feel like all these pain points would come up. It's probably yes and would be the answer to that. The problem is what I see quite often when a leader has a particular issue or struggle or challenge with somebody on, on their team, they automatically look to how they can fix that person. And actually, if there's a lack of trust in the team or if there's mistrust or distrust, it's probably starting from you as the leader, unfortunately. And so as you take a step forward and make that mindset shift, you may actually start to see that what you perceived as 
his incompetence or underperformance was actually just somebody not willing to be their true selves with you because they don't trust you. And so my suggestion is always that actually treat your team as if they will succeed and give them the support that they need to get there. And that'll shake out where true underperformance lies. Most leaders, what they do is they get a sense of where their team's weak spots are and they pad around it. So they're like, I'll not give Jason this particular task because I know he's not going to be able to do it. Well, that's basically on you that's your ego saying that so instead say hey i'm going to actually believe that jason can do this i'm going to give it to him and then i'm going to give him all the support in the world to get there and then we'll see whether he is a high performer or not having said that once you go through that exercise if you're making the step in towards self-evolved leadership and you're treating your team as if they will succeed there will be times at which you do have to say okay this isn't working or this isn't the right position or this isn't the right role for you but instead of viewing it in an emotional or defensive way in which most leaders do actually view it in a way that let's try and set this person up for success in the place that is right for them. Dave, I'm like listening here and I'm sure everybody else on the call is going, mm-hmm. I really love these ideas and I can see how it really puts a lot of responsibility on the leader as it should, because I feel like once you do that, you're going to be amazed by the potential that the team members can have. And if you start with that negativity, it's just going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy so if you're going to have a self-fulfilling prophecy, you have one that has positive outcomes, right? Uh-huh. 100% couldn't agree more with you. And the problem is that the responsibility that a lot of managers and leaders feel, and most of them feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility, but the responsibility that they feel is misguided. So they feel it's on the to-do list of everything that they and their team need to get done. I am responsible to make this happen. And actually what they've got to say is, no, I've got to be responsible to make sure that I'm building the best team possible so that that happens. That's the output of leadership. It's not the goal of leadership. It's, it's what comes as a result of you being an effective leader. Whoa, I need to dig on this a bit more because I've seen myself be in a leadership position. And yeah, that to do list, I still felt like I was supposed to do a little bit of it, or I even felt like I wasn't even doing my job. But that seems like a difficult transition as you get into a leadership role is that like if you're in the middle management, sometimes you're still expected to produce those results. If your team isn't checking off that to-do list, you feel like you're supposed to jump in and do it. And it's almost like I need to resist the urge of jumping in myself and really justify to my upper management about how, hey, all of my efforts is actually on developing the team and supporting the team. And so I feel there's a communication that needs to happen both ways here as you stepped into this self-evolved leader. Yeah, your observation's absolutely right. And there's a positive tension there that you need to balance between obviously the work needing to get done, but also not wanting to do it to the detriment of developing your people. Too many leaders sit too far on one side. And so one of the ways I encourage folks to think about it is if you look at the to-do list that you have in front of you, for every item that's on that, ask yourself, is there somebody on my team who, even if they needed a little bit of support, advice and guidance, could do this? Then you've got to just take a little bit of time to work with them so that they can execute on it. And ultimately, you should be getting to a point where what's left on your to-do list are the things that literally 
only you can do. That's where you really bring value. So you're developing the team to do everything else and you're left with more headspace to think about the long-term direction of the team and how your team's going to develop. But there's always going to be a tension there. You're never going to be 100% in that box. And sure, there's going to be a time when we need to get this done in 10 minutes and you just have to jump in and save the day. But you've got to be aware of that and you've got to say, okay, I'm breaking protocol here and I'm going to be a heroic leader because I need to, because it has to get done and making a conscious choice about it. Whereas for most of us, we're leading through acts of heroism because we get an endorphin rush through it. We're naturally prone to do that and we're not being thoughtful we're not being mindful about it wow guilty as charged here (laughs) and so i'm getting so much insights from you dave here and what i've realized is that communication about why you're jumping in and being a hero is not supposed to be the norm it's really the exception and it needs to be communicated as to why it's an exception so that it doesn't become a habit. Am I getting this right? 100%, yeah. Just intention and communicating the intention is everything. And we don't do that enough. We don't have enough of the meta conversations in our workplaces about why we're doing a certain thing in a certain way. We just kind of go, 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 go. And part of the reason is that we believe that we don't have time to have those sorts of discussions, but actually just practicing the art of a quick pause or a small pause to give yourself that moment to think and then be intentional and communicate that intention, it saves you so much time on the back end but it requires a discipline as a leader i mean you're not going to just develop this naturally it it requires work over time yeah i've often found myself when i'm in a leadership position i kind of have to be comfortable with the 80 percent output that a team member will do that i could usually do 100 yet it's with patience that i'm able to train them to get to 100 percent but it takes time and you have to delay gratification, which again, I know is kind of a, a self-discipline that you need to develop as a leader regardless. But once you do, you can actually see that now you're not getting just an 80% from someone is over long-term, they can be just as good or better. And you can also do it with five, 10, 20 other people. And now you have a great productive team that's really pushing the output. Yeah. I mean, that's huge because the other thing is if otherwise, if you resolve or resign yourself to saying, well, I'm going to have to do that 20% or even worse, I'm going to have to do 100% of it because they're not going to get it up to the standard that I need it. You're going to have to do that again and again and again and again and again. That's a lot of work that you're doing that you don't need to do. Whereas if you're okay with it being not as good as you want it to be, which let's be honest, is usually a subjective call. When somebody says that, well, I'm going to have to do it myself anyway, or they're not going to do a good enough job. That's basically down to your own ego and your own subjectivity. Saying, you know what, I'm going to be comfortable with that because we're going to use it as a learning opportunity. Don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. You've got to keep moving forward. Love it. And so I'm stepping into this self-evolved leader style. What are some of the key activities that I am doing with my team now that I know I'm not calming fires anymore? I'm really helping develop them. It starts with that mindset shift that we talked about. Second step then is no matter where you're at in the organization, whether you're CEO or you're a frontline supervisor, getting your team together and having a discussion around what the shared vision for the team is, is hugely important because what it does, does two things. One, it creates a sense of alignment. And number two, it's very helpful as a North Star for your decision making as a team. So should we go in this direction or that direction? Well, depends whichever one of those directions gets you closer to your vision. It also, on a third point, brings that sense of purpose and feeling that we're 
working towards something that's greater than ourselves, which ultimately leaves happier, more productive team members. So creating a, a shared vision, I think, is hugely important. Not feeling, again, back to that old model that you have to be the one that brings the vision, but just collectively coming up with that. One of the problems of old models of leadership is that we put too much stock in overly visionary people. So, you know, we talk about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and people that have really transformed industries. And the reality is most of us aren't going to do that. But what we can do is set a compelling vision for what we deliver on an ongoing basis. So do that with your team. What that does is it sort of sets the stake in the ground that says that's where we're going towards. And then you need to kind of fill in the gaps, right? So how do we tie together everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, all of that stuff that's in the weeds to the achievement of the vision? And how can we do it in a way that's proactive, that doesn't feel like we're just scrambling to get there. So building in a series of steps that allow you to essentially move up and down different vantage points where your horizon of focus changes. Yeah, I really love this idea. And we've started playing with this at Mindvalley where we use the framework around objectives and key results. And we have them at a company level. They seem very out of reach for a lot of people. Like one of them is like become a global brand of personal growth education. I'm working on the customer support team. What am I doing this quarter that gives me a kind of tie into that vision? Well, they actually were able to break it down and they came up with this kind of shared vision, which was for this quarter, let's just see how we can actually reduce the number of inbound inquires for customer support by like 50%, like something really bold. And this allowed them to start thinking about, hey, maybe we should start developing like self-service platforms. How do we go to the root and start working with other teams to solve the root of the majority of the cases? And now the whole team kind of got rallied with the fact that, hey, we're not just like receiving all these complaints and then solving them one at a time. They actually started stepping into a kind of leadership position where now they're going to other teams to try to solve the root cause. And I want to give a kudos to Greta, who leads that team, who's actually one of these people I would consider a self-evolved leader. And it changed the whole dynamic. So I love this principle. Yeah, I love that. And OKRs are, are super helpful for doing that, right? And you'd be surprised the amount of organizations where people are just banging their head against a wall every day and they don't know what it builds up to. They don't know what the end result is or why we're doing it. And you know what? It can be difficult. It can be clunky. It can be a little hard. I'm working with an organization at the minute trying to get them to define some some departmental goals. And it can be tough the first couple of times you go through it, but it, it involves you having to slow down a little bit to do that work to tie all of that together. But once you tie it all together, then your implementation's way faster because there's alignment and there's agreement on it. And it also builds that layer of cross-functionality that you're seeing, which for a lot of organizations can be a huge struggle and a huge downfall. Often if we're screwing up for our customer, it's because we're operating in silos because we don't know how the how we pass the baton from function to function to function. It's hugely important tying up those everyday actions to our overarching vision is massive. And so once we've built that shared vision, so now we know where we want to go. So you slow down, you get the team together, you brainstorm, and you come up with what is a vision that really gives the higher purpose to the entire team? How do we move into like implementation? Like, how do you put that into action then? And I suggest building these vantage points. So number one, let's get together and build our annual goals. So whether it's an OKR system or something else, what do we want to achieve this year? What will make this year a knockout success for us? 
okay, then how do we break that down into 90-day sprints or quarterly objectives so that we know what we're focused on for the first quarter? And then how do we, quite frankly, break that down onto a monthly basis so that we've just got this little pulse that says, hey, this is a green light. We're making good progress towards this. This is a yellow light. It needs some work. Or this is a red light. It's a challenge for us because what happens in too many organizations is they set their annual goals and then they sort of put them in a drawer and forget about them until halfway through the year. And then they say, oh, those things, yeah, I kind of remember some of them. I don't know how we're doing. And again, it, that keeps us in the weeds and keeps us scrambling. Whereas a leader, if you can build in this implementation pulse, these vantage points where you're proactively getting together with your team to review your progress, it helps avoid that gravitational pull into the day-to-day. So that's the sort of the second step after building that vision. Beautiful. And so always keeping those goals in mind, understanding that you need to regularly review them and break them down so they're easy to digest so people know, hey, this is really what I want to do this quarter, this month, whatever that vantage point is, and then start measuring the progress towards how you're getting there. Both of these are very, like as a leader, it's something that's making you step out of the operational and tactical and it's keeping people kind of on the pulse of, hey, here's the vision, here's how we're getting there. And it's keeping those people motivated. I'd be curious to know, like when I'm working with teams or individuals within my team and I'm leading them, are there certain disciplines that I should be helping develop into them? Or is there disciplines I should be working on myself to be better at working with my team? Yeah. And, you know, if you look at where we've come to, we've set our vision and we've built this kind of implementation pulse. And so that's kind of like getting on a boat and saying, we're going to sail to New Zealand and here are the various stops that we're going to stop at. But if you don't know how to sail a boat, then you're never going to get there. And so there are five key disciplines that I think that any manager or leader needs to develop in order to keep us on that path, on that track, moving towards the achievement of our overarching vision. And really quickly, they are reclaiming your attention so getting way better at managing those interruptions into your life being able to stay focused on the things that are important for longer secondly is facilitating team flow and by that i mean the work that comes into your team how do you ensure that that flows around them and back out to the wider organization better then there's supporting high performance so rather than standing over your team whenever you've delegated something out to them how can you actually stand by and coach them to success Having symbiotic conversations when things are a challenge or things are going wrong, how can you engage in adult-to-adult conversations with your team that actually seeks the best outcome for everybody involved? And then number five of the key disciplines is building shared accountability. So how can we ensure that as a team, we're getting together regularly to review our success? Mm. Yeah, these principles are so good. Like you're talking about some things around, you know, having crucial conversations, being able to have like really relevant conflict resolution and being able to speak the truth, actually cultivating an environment of psychological safety as well as accountability. I love that. I'd love to just dig on one of these that I thought needs a bit more clarification is what is this team flow facilitation? You're talking about like, are you a gatekeeper to disruptions or are you, what, what's happening here? There's an element of that. So if you think about the team that you oversee, you'll likely have the work that needs to happen this week, this month, this quarter, and you may have some role in defining what that is. You'll likely get shifting priorities from your boss or from some other teams, or you'll get asks and requests that are there. And usually what happens is it comes in in a sort of 
ad hoc fashion and often the leader just says well I'll do that or I'll figure that out or I'll sort that out and we need to get better at saying to our team okay when priorities shift or we get a new project or a new ask how do we ensure that that gets flowed down into the team in the most appropriate way and back to the point earlier about looking at the to-do list any new ask that comes into your team you should ask yourself is there somebody on my team who even if they need some support advice and guidance could do this then ultimately you should give it to them to manage and where you want to get to is this sense where there's the concept of flow in general from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, where he talks about just getting into individual flow, where the challenge of the task that you're facing is in a positive tension to your skills to do that task. And so it's easy to get lost in it because there's a good balance between those two things. And, and the ultimate goal with your team is to get to the point where collectively as a unit, you can get into this sense of flow where you're achieving good things and you can handle new priorities in a way that doesn't jerk us in a lot of teams. If there's a switch in priority or a change in the marketplace or a new customer has a demand, it's really hard for us to adjust appropriately and everybody scrambles to get there and we kind of just about make it. Whereas I think if you start to develop some of these disciplines and practices, you can manage those new asks and priorities in a way that feels a bit more flow-like. Mm, I love that. So Dave, we've covered so much in this episode and I wanted to just add one more element before we sign this off, which is just, you know, when I stepped into being this kind of self-evolved leader, like what does it look like from a team productivity and how does it look like from an operational perspective when I'm operating from this perspective? And are there people that would be looking at, you know, developing themselves as a self-evolved leader, but kind of miss the mark where they just find themselves just delegating all their work and now being that kind of manager that says, oh, I'm a self-evolved leader. I don't do anything. I'm just going to get you guys to do what I want. <laughs> like <laughs> I've seen that bad kind of manager and I wouldn't want that to happen. So maybe you can just make sure that you paint that contrast so people really know what will it take and what will it look like when I stepped into this ultimate, amazing self-evolved leader mode. Sure. And, you know, it's a good point. Any model that's out there can be abused and taken to the other extreme and far from telling people that you should just be sitting on a throne, just, you know, casting out orders. It's That would be the dark side, I guess, of what we're talking about. I think it goes back to that notion of intentionality again, right? And so getting to the point of where do I really add value to this organization? I add value in this organization if I can build a team, funny enough, a team of heroes themselves. And so, you know, there's a great marketing framework called Story Brand written by a guy called Donald Miller. And he uses the concept of essentially epic movies to talk about how to market products. But he's got a concept that I think translates into leadership pretty well, which is your job is not to be the hero in this story. Your job is to be the guide. So if you look at any of those movies, Lord of the Rings, Frodo had Gandalf, Star Wars, Luke had Yoda. In The Hunger Games, Katniss had Hamish. And rather than be the hero in this story, your job is to be Yoda, it's to be Hamish, it's to be Gandalf, to develop heroes underneath you. And so when you start from that intention, it helps to move away from that, from abusing it or going towards the dark side of it. And when you do it effectively, ultimately the output, because this was your first, your starting question was, you get more time 
and you get more headspace to think strategically and innovatively. You develop a team underneath you that will outlive you and, and leave a lasting legacy. You'll build higher morale in the team and as a result, a greater likelihood that they'll achieve their common goals. And quite frankly, you get to go home at the end of the night and feel really good about what you did that day. Dave McEwen, thank you so much for sharing these amazing insights with us. I mean, this was a jam-packed episode. I'm sitting here, I'm learning a tons, and I know everybody else listening is feeling the same way here. And just to recap it for everybody, the era of the hero leader has come and gone at the pace of organizations today. This new model of a self-evolved leader is really what's going to get the job done. We're talking about not being the hero yourself, but really being a hero generator, the guide for everyone. And so what were those main activities? We talked about being able to create that compelling vision for the entire team, having them break down into more tangible pulses of implementation, whether it's a monthly, quarterly type of goal that gets you closer to that vision. These key disciplines around reclaiming your attention, facilitating the team flow, supporting high performance, having symbiotic conversations, and building shared accountability are the disciplines you need to focus on as a leader to really get the team to start to shine. And yes, there is a time that you're going to feel the pull to want to go in and just do more. And, you know, oftentimes a leader gets promoted because they were a high performer within their own practice. When they come into a leadership position, they think they're supposed to do more and better of their existing practice, but rather it's stepping back and realize that you need to guide others to be able to do the same. Have the patience to understand that you need to develop the other people. It takes time. It takes practice. And you're going to see that once you're able to be someone that develops more heroes, this is really the clear intention and the output that you're expected to have as a leader, which means now you get to pull from the collective ideas of the entire team, which are amazing people. And I particularly like this aspect where we talked about how when you start with the assumption that all your team is capable, you can trust them, you can support them, give them the resources to align them towards a success, you'll see that most people will rise up to the expectation that you have of them. And so you might as well have the expectations that they're going to do amazing things. And you'll be on your way of creating a high performing team. Dave, thank you so much for coming here and sharing these amazing insights. For any of you who wants to go deeper on the topic, The Self-Evolved Leader, amazing book just came out. Pick that up for yourselves. And I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. And thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.